Hello and welcome to Dynamics Update. Uh, today is one of those interview episodes and um, uh, with me as usual I have my, my dear colleague Gustav. Hello Gustav. Hello my dear colleague Johan. <laughs> and we also have a, a friend that I met in, in Lisbon actually. So with us is Nathan Klaus. Could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Nathan Klaus. Um, I've been working with FNO uh, slash AX since version 2009. I, I started in the year 2009 as well. Oh. Um, and um, I just got introduced to that. I had been working with other ERPs and I really liked AX. Um, so I decided to stick with it. Um, and I've stuck with it for almost 15 years now. Um, and I've always focused on technical stuff. I started out as a developer um, and that's branched out to um, uh, everything tech. So uh, integrations, not so much code anymore, but uh, everything related to um, X++, now .NET, all the Azure stuff and, and all the stuff around that. Very cool. You also have a blog, right? The Atomic AX is... Um... Is your I'm just gonna say child? <laughs> what your you're doing, right? I actually have two blogs. Um, I have Atomic AX, um, which is my personal blog. I, I focus on typically deep topics, deep technical topics there, um, and then um, some of the uh, US-based FNO MVPs uh, we put together, Dynamics.fo, uh, where we release a lot of um, cataloged. Uh, features, data entities, um, and security artifacts by major version that Microsoft releases. Um, so you can see what's in there. Um, because historically, Microsoft hasn't done a really good job of telling you precisely what's, you know what new features came in 10.0.32, for instance. Um, so we put together a way to catalog that and release that um, just by version. Um, most of it links back to Microsoft stuff whenever it's available, uh, mm -hmm. but it gives you just a nice view of, you know, when you look at a new update, you can see precisely what's in it. That's very cool. That's like the or nerdier version and techier version version of our dynamics update going even deeper that's a very cool um cool take so what what made you go into go to atomic ax i mean what made you start to blog was that always an interest or was it um so so much content around ax so you had to had to write um actually it's sort of a funny story um so i'd heard about the mvp um award um someone told me about it and i was like that'd be really cool like to sort of you know, try and do that, um, just try and get that distinction. Um, so I started blogging, um, and I didn't necessarily know exactly what I was doing the whole time, uh, but I just sort of kept with it. Um, and as stuff that I worked on changed, uh, what I blogged about changed. So um, as a, for instance, um, there was a lot of maybe two years where I focused on reports. Um, so there's a lot of content on my blog related to 2012 and uh, just getting to data. Um, but uh, as I just sort of stuck with it, um, I kept on writing about stuff. And eventually um, I, got, I got noticed um, and, and was awarded MVP, uh, but it was um, almost 11, 12 years worth of, worth of work. Um, so um, Very cool. so worth it. Yeah, I'm uh, surrounded well, by MVPs here. I'm the only one, not the, not the MVP in this podcast. I was nominated before, but I never had the time to fit it in. So we'll see when it happens next time. That's cool, but I, I think that's very well worth as, as well. By that's the whole point, right? I think we discussed on many previous um, interviews as well as uh, podcasts about the how the community has evolved and, and changed with so much new information, right? But even even back then in the two thousand nine, we were limited from like official documentation was at least a little, little bit limited, 
uh, even more limited. Um, but the community has always like been there, but now it's really exploded, right? Now it's all over the place with so much good content coming coming out as well. So it's almost too much, and sometimes it's hard to know <laughs> where to where to go to find the best content. So I love the blog format very much because it's very nice. It allows for a deep dive into a specific topic, which is very nice. And I read a lot of your posts. So so thank you for those. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, back when, um, you know, 2009 was around, there wasn't a lot of content. Um, so that was something that I wanted to address, but also um, the best way to learn something when there is no documentation is to learn it yourself and hopefully help someone else out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of funny. There's been two instances where I have wrote a blog post about something, entirely forgotten it, and then went to Google. <laughs> and then it took me back to my own blog from something I wrote seven years ago. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> that should have um, a certain name. I think you happened to you as well. You want a lot of bloggers happen. It should have like a blogger syndrome or something. It's so common that it should have some kind of name, I think. But it's great, and I think that that makes it all the more relevant, right? To keep keep doing it, because if you found it by googling, um, I'm betting at least a lot of other people have had the exact same question and were helped. So that's that's very nice. Yeah, that that was actually the reason why I laughed because I've I've done that a couple of times <laughs> myself as well. I've searched for it because for some reason you you formulate the question the same time the same way every time, so that actually increases the risk of you ending up in your own own blog because you, you yeah. use the same words and so on so i i think that's that's uh interesting one and and i also the the reason why i i also write it down is i i heard um a podcast by a guy at microsoft called scott hanselman and he said yeah. something very smart one time he said that uh, in in your lifetime you have a finite amount of key keystrokes use them <laughs> as efficiently as possible. And writing things down on a blog is more efficient than just writing them in an email to someone. So if, if you're going to write it down anyway, you might as well write it down in a blog and, and send a link to them. It's a very wise man, I, I think, Hanselman. Very great podcast as well, Hanselman. Cool. So, um, so Nathan, what uh, what do you do mostly now? What's your area? I mean, we are both, as I mentioned before, both you and uh, all of us three are quite technical, leaning towards it. When you described your background, it was kind of a perfect match from my background as well. I started with AX 2009, developer, not doing as much code nowadays as I maybe would have liked to, but still everything everything technical around it. So, so what's your main area? I mean, today, do you have any larger areas that you try to focus on? Um, really, it's more around uh, integrations, um, integration design, and then solution delivery related to just about everything technical. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be uh, stuff with DevOps. That could be stuff with um, Azure. There, there's a lot of different areas, um, but really just trying to um, deliver projects. So I'm project delivery. Um, I'm not project mm-hmm. um, support. Um, okay, implementation. Um, so I, I, that's what I mostly focus on. But um, you know, my my goal is to when I transition um, off of delivery, that I have a set of artifacts and standard processes that I can give to the technical team. Say he, you know, when you have um, the newest rollout uh, for Microsoft, even if there's no customizations, here's how you, you you walk that through the process. Here's how you deliver, uh, you know, deploy to UAT and then to production. Um, whether it's through an automated process or just you know a, a technical or a uh, 
process that's just Word, and here, here's the buttons you click in LCS. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. No, I was just going to say that. I mean, that whole process is a delivery in itself. Now, nowadays, even though if we just do standard, the ALM process has changed so so much or evolved. Maybe is a better word for it. That um, these components that going back to again, <laughs> 2009, you could do it all on your own, right? You could pretty much handle, even though a very efficient deployment, you could handle basic pretty much on your own, without uh, relying on any other component than AX and Windows Server, perhaps. Uh, but nowadays you need to understand all of the involved components, even in a very lightweight installation. So that in itself is a very important part of the implementation, right? Or also handover. So the DevOps, uh, DevOps pipelines, etc. So one of the reasons why I actually uh, thought about having you on the podcast was because you and I discussed a bit about uh, Git and, and using Git mm -hmm. in a finance and operations context. Uh, Every time you you bring that up, everyone will say it's not supported by Microsoft. So, uh, <laughs> so first of all, what's the problem? And second of all, why would we like to use it anyway? Um, so I guess I'll answer the the, the first question first. Is yeah, sure. know, it's it's not supported by Microsoft. That's I'd say that's sort of a weak argument because. Just because it's not supported by Microsoft for your specific implementation of how you want to use it, that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't work. You just don't have support specifically for the way that you're using it. So Git with the X++ language. Um, Microsoft still support Git and X++. Just because you put the two together doesn't mean Microsoft says, oh, and I, uh, I can't touch this. Um, they'll still support both, just potentially not both together in an official capacity. Um, but there's lots of stuff in the community, um, and X++ isn't that far away from C Sharp that no. it really makes a huge difference. Um, sure, X++ has its own um, ALM story with uh, DevOps pipelines um, and how we deliver, you know, you know, deliver our binaries and all that good stuff. Um, but the, the distance between X++ and C Sharp now, relative to let's say back in 2009, um, is is much, uh, you know, much smaller. So um, I think the support thing isn't as big of a deal. Um, at the end of the day, it's just a programming language. Um, it's a specialized programming language, uh, but it's just a language. When I look at um, just projects and specifically, you know, Microsoft supports TFVC, um, and I don't want this to turn into just we're going to bash, you know, TFS for you know, <laughs> 30 minutes. Um, that has a very specific way that it likes to work. Um, hmm. And that doesn't necessarily align with the way that developers are used to working now. So if you take a C-sharp developer, um, they're probably already using Git, probably have already been using it for years. And if you want to teach them, you know, or just have them deliver anything in X++, they, you know, we have to say, oh, well, you have to go back to how TFVC works. And that is a very specific um, situation or very specific yeah. scenarios in which it works and which it doesn't. Um, and it's very, um, very sort of top tier enterprise, which is it dictates processes for you where Git can be uh, whatever you want it to be. If you want it to be just a, you know, you've got one developer who's gonna deliver everything, Git, Git will work fine for that. If you have 40, Git will handle that too. Um, so that's, I mean, I just love using Git and it's more just the way it, you build what you need um, and build those processes and nothing else tells you how to operate. Um, and typically, you know, I'm a more senior resource, so I would 
get help. I, you know, my job would be merging change sets. Um, I had one client that had over 80 active developers at one point. My entire job was just managing change sets from all these different uh, developers that were, you know, committing code, um, which is fine. But, you know, if you like now look at how you could do that with Git, you know, that's um, a very part-time role um, that is there on demand rather than just someone, you know, my, my job was to quite literally catalog and, and merge change sets with TFVC. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to... Um, um clarify a couple of things so so first of all when when we say it's not supported by microsoft it doesn't have anything to do with the actual product fno as you said the only thing that is not supported is x plus plus together with git uh, so it, it doesn't affect your support of of fno in any way shape or form so if no. if the people in the in the project in the in the fno implementation project for instance tells you it's not supported then it it's actually not their part that's not supported it's it's your part that's not supported and and i also would like to clear up as well because one thing i i hear a lot is that people can't really separate git from github and and those are aren't actually the same thing at all git <laughs> is is the sort of the way you manage code in a repository and and uh, GitHub is is basically a, a whole bunch of hosted repositories in the same place. So mm. and it, of course I'm I'm making it extremely simple because GitHub is mm. a lot more than that. But but from this perspective, GitHub is basically just the place where you could place your Git repository. Yeah. Uh, in most cases, when we talk Git, we actually have Git in DevOps instead of of in GitHub. Because the reason is that we have, as, as you said, we have a, a couple of specialized pipelines. We have the entire Commerce, project, not the least, yeah. In itself, there we have all of the changes, all of the backlog items, all of the work items, and so on. So there is no reason to actually move it out of, of Dep DevOps because DevOps is very much integrated to LCS and, and the way we work. But yeah. With that being said, why would we like to use Git instead of uh, VSTC? I, I think it's just, so when I talk about Git, I'm usually looking at it through the lens of project delivery. So when you're looking at project delivery, um, you have the base FNO product, um, and then you're going to have, you know, usually at least five, maybe 10 um, customizations um, that you need to deliver in order to deliver the whole project. Um, and that typically means, let's say, three to five developers um, all working on different initiatives, um, all committing code um, for the project. When when you look at how TFVC does it, or just TFS for short, um, it's there's a very strong pattern you must follow uh, as prescribed by Microsoft on how to build your branches, how you... Um, like how you construct your branches, how you do your build pipelines, all that good stuff, um, which is fine. Like it, it's there's nothing wrong with it. I just think there's Git is more organic to how we want to work. Um, and mostly when when talking with senior resources, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I don't want to necessarily go out and find when my you know my devs have done something and I need to look at it. I want them to alert me. That they have, they need me for something. Otherwise, you know, if there's no communication that they need my, my help, um, I don't necessarily get it. Um, and that's one of the the key um, 
benefits of Git is the idea of a pull request. So that's built into the mm. Git control system. Um, and both DevOps and GitHub do it. Um, there's also GitLab. Um, you can host Git yourself if you want. There, there's all kinds of options, but you know, Git, the source control um, engine is is what I'm you know most interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're looking at like, so for instance, it seems like every project has, you have to modify the check report. It doesn't matter even if they take everything out of the box, <laughs> there's the check report that needs, you know, needs to have a few things moving <laughs> around. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when looking at Git, you can say, you know, here's my primary branch or my main line. I'm going to, you know, create a branch just um, to work on my check. That's like a virtual um, workshop for just working on your check. You assign mm -hmm. it to a developer, um, they deliver to spec, um, and then create a pull request to say, hey, I'm done. That goes to a more senior resource. They review it, it gets approved, and then it can automatically be integrated into your uh, you know, main main code branch, you know, your main code mm -hmm. line, and then yeah. using DevOps, automatically deployed out to your sandbox environment for someone to actually look at. And then there's all sorts of room in between for automated testing, um, whether it's ATL, SysTest, or RSAT. Um, there's just a lot of um, value that you can get based on um, having a more organic structure to how you deliver code in a project. But the hmm. project itself still has to be delivered sort of like a normal, ordinary project. There's um, things that we have to do. There's um, success by design from Microsoft for guidance. Uh, but code can be sort of, um, I don't want to say wishy-washy, uh, <laughs> but we can be more flexible because depending on when uh, we get those... Um, you know, customization requests, whether it's at the beginning of the project or at the end, there'll typically be like a swell of developers and then we go down to zero developers. Yeah. Um, and Git handles that really well. Cool, very good description of, of Git. And then also to be clear, I mean, wh where does Git fit in in the process? As you said, you it's not like you do Git and it's like this dramatic shift in how you work in your project. It's, it's, a, it's a better source control process, right? For, depending on, on what you need to do. So it's... Uh, yeah, this is about the point is just it's not supported now in the same way that Visual Studio 2019 wasn't supported until recently, at least for um, some of the, some of the work. Right. So probably in the near future, if you get a question in, in somewhere saying, well, we're not going to use Git because it's not supported. The point we're saying here is that look into that argument because it's not really the driver here. If, if Git works for you or your uh, project or your organization or your maintenance team or whatever where you need to input it just put in the effort of understanding what it actually does rather than than looking at if it's supported or not because i don't think as you said they're not going to reject your support request um if you post it right it's it's still going to be valid not not unless your support request has to do with with checking exactly, in code or automatically building from a pipeline exactly, right? and yeah. so on. But but that's that's a very specific case. But I would also like to lift another reason why uh, Git is, is probably a, a good option. And that is that for the segment of customer that we are working with when it comes to ERP, most of them have some sort of development uh, in-house. It could be like uh, scripts for IT. It could be... Uh, Power BI reports, it could be a lot of different things that they are working on. I, I think it was from the from the Phoenix project, they said that every company that doesn't have development, I mean, every company is some sort of IT company anyway. So in-house development is getting more and more um, important. So mm -hmm. 
I would say also that many customers are already using Git in in some way, shape, or form. They have a Git repository or multiple ones. They might have them in GitHub. They might have them in 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 Azure DevOps, but they do have them and they, they're used to using them and they have processes around them. So hmm. having X plus plus at the as the only project that doesn't use Git in this case is probably an anomaly and would probably cause issues <laughs> rather than solve them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, just as a call out, um, when you create a new Azure DevOps project, um, the very first, if it's your first project, you really have to go out of your way to make it TFEC. There's a, it's like a hidden setting inside of a hidden <laughs> setting for you to say, I want it, you know, I want this to not be Git. I want this to actually be TFEC. Um, hmm. So, um, there was a chart that I saw that sort of compared the two, um, and you know, T TFEC is is still a valid and good source control system, but it's more for your high, you know, high governance, um, slow to react, on purpose types of um, code bases or repositories or industries, where specifically you want to have stuff move slow because there might be some governance in place that you can't get around or. It has to go to some third party who has, you know, a three week back backlog to approve the, the chain request or whatever that, you know, the, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, Git is more, I don't like to use the word agile because I think that might have some <laughs> connotation for some people who hear that word, uh, but it's more for rapid development. So as a, for instance, yeah. um, let's say I had a customer show up um, today and says, hey, I want to go live um, in six months. I need these six, you know, here's some six requirements. I'm going to need six developers, and we want to deliver them in two weeks. Um, with TFEC, um, that's uh, that's actually a lot of work to deliver that. Um, with Git, in probably 45 minutes, I can set that up and have my developers um, in there, assuming they have a, a machine that they can use, and start. My developers can start developing and, and delivering in, in as little as 45 minutes. Yeah, there's just a, a lot of value um, just in terms of. You know, just being able to do stuff organically and rapidly rather than, um, you know, use TFEC. But the, the from this chart that I saw, um, the, the quote that just made me laugh was when comparing, you know, Microsoft owns GitHub and Microsoft owns Azure DevOps. Um, they said, you know, um, GitHub is their favorite child um, and um, TFEC, you know, Azure DevOps um, is their third favorite child. Um, and <laughs> they don't have favorite. three kids, so... No. <laughs> you know, it's just, and that just made me laugh. Explains a lot, yeah. And I mean, it's all, it also makes a lot of sense in, in uh, like the developer story, as you mentioned, like being, working in a tool set, Git is one of them, of course, but like that is that you're used to working with is such a huge benefit because again, going back to, we have to stop using this 2009 reference, but it's, a, it's an interesting point because then you were an AX, X++ developer. And even though the code, like it's similar, it's still, that kind of skill set was pretty special, right? And but now it, it's more and more similar. It's uh, again more calls across tiers across different services. Uh, the C sharp reference is very good, so it's more natural now, I think, to 
switch from maybe working with C Sharp. You can move into uh, the business logic is like what you need to understand, but the, the code and the programming language is very similar. Uh, and then the uh, development, the IDE, the development environment is also similar. And it makes it easier to, to um, onboard new developers to, to Dynamics as well. So it makes sense to try to align at least. I've, I've always had the feeling or the sense that AX and Dynamics is like two years, at the very least, two years behind the, the regular like developer scene. I think maybe in some cases we're five years behind the regular developer scene, but we're catching up, right? And it makes it easier because then you're not tied to these older versions and you can, as you say, you can be up and running in a much, much more efficient process if we all use pretty much the same tools. Um, and then you have the, again, the business logic and ERP is complex as it is, uh, but if you don't have to learn a new programming lang language, all in itself, it makes things easier. Yep. Um, and one thing to consider, like when looking at C Sharp, so I have a brother, he uh, does C Sharp, um, and he sort of picks on me because uh, <laughs> if you look at the tooling that we have for X++ to automate our deployments, um, a lot of it came out within the last two years, um, and it's pretty yep. good. Uh, but then I was like, you know, hey, like look at all this cool stuff he can do. Um, and he's like, hey, watch this. Um, and then he shared his screen, and he's on um slack and he's like all right i just queued a build all right i'm gonna you know preemptively approve it to be deployed to uat and he's just working in in slack and so yeah. we have a ways to go but we have some great tooling now as well yeah absolutely and i mean with the control and the rigorosity that is also sometimes needed in erp maybe not doing auto build from from slack is like the, the end goal for all here on the erp side but i understand what you mean and automating those processes the one you described before is where we're driving at now i mean doing that development work easily and, and um, doing the controlled process of actually auditing the code is also important but then once that's done just automate it move it to sit move it to staging sandbox or whatever you need to where you start actually validating it from a business logic perspective because that's also needed or doing automated tests so that that those options are now uh, more available to us but still it's not next next finish for all of them you'd still need to understand and set them up so it's another skill set that's um that's similar now if we can use uh, the functionality in, in azure devops and azure pipelines yeah um and i have a lot of interest in automated testing um because mm -hmm. i think that can really help drive value for um delivery because you know it might cost let's say I mean, this, this number may be shocking to some, but let's say you invest $50,000 um, in automating your testing during your uh, implementation, um, but then you can use that for all seven updates you get from Microsoft. Um, it's highly likely you'll get that $50,000 back and then some within the first year or two uh, for just automated testing to confirm your core and critical processes uh, execute um, you know, for your specific configurations uh, with your data, um, and everything still works based on, you know, 10.03 came out or uh, whatever the version is. I mean, mm -hmm. you can just validate that that happens based on just pipelines doing work. Um, doesn't didn't take any people dedicating any extra time from their day. So you don't have to redirect business activities to testing. Exactly. Um, and um, that can become especially um, valuable uh, with all the features that come out. Sometimes they come out uh, turned on. Um, so that's that's why uh, over here in the US we put together dynamics.fo uh, because there were like a lot of warehousing stuff now just gets um, flipped on or if it's out for you know three versions then it gets flipped on. Um, mm -hmm. You need to make sure that that stuff um, still works as expected. 
Um, there's no bugs introduced or anything like that. Um, and that's very rare, but you know, it, it does happen. Um, and when you look at um, just how many configurations you can have inside of um, FNO for all the different countries that are supported, for all the different processes that are required inside those different countries, um, you know, Microsoft can't test every possible, you know, billions of permutations for every uh, every oh, config that's out there. That's a very wise sentiment, and I think uh, maybe um, from a time perspective, you want we should try to close off with those wise words that invest into automated testing again with all the tools that are available to us now, ATL and all the all the readiness tools that we have available to us. Um, make sure to invest in those because a couple of hours spent on uh, automating your tests is very well worth the investment. Yeah, exa exactly. So, so I, I usually say that short term automatic testing is really, really, really expensive, but long term mm. it 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 gets cheaper because you yeah. you it's an investment. So, um, but with that, I think it's time to to finish up this this episode. So, Nathan, do you have any closing words? Um, I guess sort of tailing on what you said. Um, I was actually sp speaking with another. MVP earlier today, and we were talking about um, the difference in 10 years of experience. Um, when looking at um, automated processes in any sense of the word, um, you know, I think of that as you've gotten 10 years of experience, meaning you've got 10 years of unique experience. Uh, if we don't start making investments in sort of automating away the stuff that doesn't add a lot of value, uh, we get the same one year repeated 10 times. Yeah. And that's not exactly. 10 years of experience. That's just 10 years. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one year that's of sad, experience. But very, very true, but sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, thank you, Nathan, for joining us. And uh, thanks for a nice talk and uh, enlightening information about Git. It was really helpful. Thank you. Very good. And thanks hope to be able to hope to be able to get you back at some point. Yeah. Hope to see you on a, yeah. a conference near soon as well. Take care, Nathan. Hopefully, Thank you so much. They'll be invited to back over to Europe sometime soon. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.